What is up, guys? It is the Blue Bloods coming at you with another episode in our Big Ten and 31 Days theme here. And we are joined by Austin Meek, who is a Michigan insider and staff writer for The Athletic. And I just wanted to say I appreciate you joining me. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. For sure. So, I mean, let's get right into the season, the 2020 season, a two and four season for the Wolverines, but they had their last three games canceled due to COVID. A lot of uncertainty surrounding the offseason and spring practice. Did this season for you, though, fall short of, meet, or exceed your preseason expectations? I had a feeling that Michigan might take a step back in 2020, but I definitely didn't anticipate that it would be as drastic a step back as what ended up happening, Uh, especially not after the way Michigan played in its first game against Minnesota. I mean, thinking back to that first game, uh, myself and I think a lot of people came away from that game really impressed and feeling like Michigan was, uh, was a contender in the Big Ten, and then the wheels just completely fell off. Uh, Joe Milton was so impressive at quarterback in his first game and just regressed as as the season went along. The quarterback position ended up being a bit a big question mark. Uh, you know, the defense really, uh, really collapsed. Uh, and there have been a lot of changes, offseason changes because of that. So, uh, you know, I, I had a sense that the program was in a little bit of a precarious spot coming off of the 2019 season, but the drop-off, I think, w- was even bigger than I would have anticipated. Right. I mean, and you know, August 11th was the day Kevin Warren made the decision to postpone the season. We heard about Nebraska, Ohio State, some of these schools really fighting the decision. What was Michigan's tone? Were they one of the ones fighting back behind the scenes? And What was your initial reaction to Kevin Warren's decision to postpone the season? Yeah, Michigan was uh, not the most outspoken school, but certainly uh, there were voices at Michigan who were outspoken about wanting to play. Uh, Jim Harbaugh was, uh, you know, he he was clear after the Big Ten made that decision that that he felt like it was safe to play, that he wanted to play. There was a kind of a core group of players on Michigan's team that organized a, a march across campus uh, to, to make the make the case for, for playing the season. So, uh, yeah, I, I was, um, you know, I was a little surprised, I think, when, when the decision came down. I think I had, uh, you know, even though we all understood it was, a, you know, a, a serious and an un- unprecedented situation, I think I'd been of the mind that, that all of the major conferences would, would figure out a way to play, which ultimately is what they did. Uh, you know, when the, when the decision came down, I think it was, um, you know, I think it caught a lot of people by surprise just how, how quickly that decision was made. Uh, you know, obviously, I think w- when we saw the backlash that happened afterwards and uh, you know, whether you agreed or disagreed with the decision, I think there were some, you know, some legitimate questions about the process that the Big Ten used to make that decision. Uh, you know, so ultimately, as it happened, we had a few weeks of, uh, you know, uncertainty and, and people, you know, making their voices heard that they wanted to play and we ended up playing the season and, you know, there might be a few teams and maybe Michigan's one of them. I don't know. Might be a few teams that, um, you know, wondered if it was worthwhile, you know, as difficult as it was because Michigan, you know, had to cancel their last three games, uh, weren't able to play the Ohio State game this year, which is pretty unfathomable. So uh, certainly a a very uh, disjointed season from start to finish. 
Right. And, you know, I want to get into some on-the-field stuff. Speaking about a little bit disjointed, especially at the beginning of the season, the quarterback position for Michigan was surrounded with plenty of questions, and we saw two guys really step up. Joe Milton started most of the first half of the season, had an outstanding game against Minnesota, but then things kind of came off the rails against Wisconsin. And then we saw Cade McNamara step in late in the season, and I, I would say be pretty impressive well, now Milton's gone. Alan Bowman and J.J. McCarthy are headed to campus soon. Who is your favorite for the 2021 QB1 role? You know, right now, if I had to say today, I would probably say Cade McNamara. But I really think it could be any of those three guys, uh, and it wouldn't stun me. Uh, I think Cade probably goes into the spring having a little bit of a leg up. You know, J.J. McCarthy, uh, the highest-ranked high school quarterback to sign with Michigan during Jim Harbaugh's tenure, five-star prospect, uh, a guy who, if you look at his film and look at the way he played in high school, you know, he's about as ready as it gets for a guy making the transition from high school to college. So I wouldn't count him out. But I do think that the game experience that Cade McNamara has gives him a leg up, at least for now. And Alan Bowman's kind of the wild card because he's not on campus yet. Uh, he will be the most experienced of the three quarterbacks when he gets here. A guy who early in his career at, at Texas Tech put up some really impressive numbers, looked like he might be the next record-setting quarterback to come out of Texas Tech. Then there was the coaching change there. He had some pretty gruesome injuries that he had to fight through, uh, ended up entering the transfer portal. Uh, and so we'll see. I, I really don't know if Alan Bowman is coming in to be, a, you know, just to give some experience in that room, uh, you know, to be a, a backup plan if one of the other two guys isn't ready, or if he's coming in with the idea that, um, that he could be the guy. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but if I had to pick somebody right now, I'd probably go with McNamara. Right, you know, I'll, I still I want to go back to you know you mentioned McCarthy, the highest rated uh, quarterback recruit, you know, under Harbaugh. There's been a little bit of a criticism about Harbaugh developing quarterbacks he recruits. We've seen him have success with transfers. You look at Shea Patterson, but the, the freshman quarterbacks that he brings in don't always work out. They sometimes transfer. How big? of, I guess, how big is this for Harbaugh's perception of his job in Michigan for J.J. to really work out in the long run? Yeah, you know, I don't know if it's an overstatement to say that that J.J. McCarthy may have saved Jim Harbaugh's job at Michigan. I mean, I think when when we got into the offseason and and we're trying to figure out, is Jim Harbaugh going to be back? One of the, you know, one of the things I think that that swung the scale in his favor was – he had this recruiting class coming in, and J.J. McCarthy was really the cornerstone of that, uh, the type of quarterback prospect that, that Michigan has not signed out of high school since Jim Harbaugh's been here. Uh, and you're right, and I think it's a totally fair criticism that Jim Harbaugh hasn't developed a young quarterback at Michigan who's been able to step in the job and be a multi-year starter. Uh, the closest they came was Shea Patterson, who came in as a transfer from Ole Miss and was a two-year starter and played pretty well. Uh, didn't maybe live up to all the expectations that were there when he came in. But you know, aside from Shea Patterson, it's it's really been a revolving door at quarterback. And, and it's going to be that way again, because you know Joe Milton 
there was a time when we thought maybe Joe Milton would be that guy who was a you know a homegrown quarterback who'd come into Michigan as a freshman, developed. It was his time to take over the starting job, and there was some hope that he could be a, a two or three year starter here. Didn't work out that way. Uh, you know, maybe Cade McNamara will, will end up being that. Maybe JJ McCarthy will be that. But it is definitely, um, you know, it is definitely a box that Jim Harbaugh has not checked yet at Michigan to develop a quarterback that he recruited and signed out of high school who went on to become a multi-year starter at Michigan. Right. And, you know, there was a lot of, there was a narrative that hiring Josh Gaddis from Alabama's office of coordinator, this is what was needed to take this offense to the next level. How would you grade Gaddis's job so far as office of coordinator? And what are your expectations moving forward for him? I'd probably grade him about a, I don't know, a B minus somewhere in there. You know, he's, he's been, he's been good. Okay. To good. Um, you know, I think, I think it's hard to judge too much off of the 2020 season just because it was so disjointed. I think if Josh Gaddis had had a full season, uh, maybe we would be able to, uh, to draw a few more conclusions from that, but it definitely has not been, you know, if anybody thought Josh Gaddis was going to come in and just right from the start, transform Michigan's offense into an offense that looks like Alabama's or Ohio State's or Clemson's, that certainly has has not been the case. I, I think we've seen, you know, we've seen some signs of progress. We've seen some some bright spots from from Josh Gaddis's offense. We've also seen some games where it didn't didn't look very good. So I think I think they're still trying to figure out in a way what exactly the identity is going to be because there's kind of two different, you know, two different directions. There's the idea of the, you know, the up-tempo RPO-based offense that maybe would look a lot like Alabama's. There's also kind of the traditional Michigan offense, which is we're going to run the ball down your throat and we're going to go on these long demoralizing drives and, you know, control the ball, play complementary football. You, you hear kind of elements of both of those come through. Uh, and I'm, I'm not really sure they've, figured out for sure what the identity is but we have seen we have seen the offense make some strides just not as not as much or as quickly as you would have hoped yeah I, I I agree with that it's hard I mean I think anybody who was a first year head coach offensive coordinator defensive coordinator you kind of got to write off 2020 I mean to not have a spring with players you haven't got to interact with or develop is is a real tough ask but you know moving on to Harbaugh's extension man he gets an extension this all season, entering his seventh season as the head coach. I mean, I feel like this is one of the most polarizing coaching discussions you could have because I think there's people on the fence that say, hey, he should have already been let go. There's people who say you can't fire Jim Harbaugh. What are your thoughts on the extension? And just in terms of what Harbaugh's done over like his six seasons so far, how would you grade his performance right now? Yeah, it's definitely a tricky one for sure, and I, I agree that it's it's one of the more polarizing coaching situations out there because there are a lot of people who feel exactly like you said that uh, that we've seen enough from Jim Harbaugh that he's hit his ceiling at Michigan. Uh, he's not going to win a Big Ten championship there, and it might they might as well move on. I think there were a lot of Michigan fans who probably felt that way. Uh, at the same time, there's you know there's another segment of fans who look at it and say, hey. Jim Harbaugh came in here at a time coming off of, of the Brady Hoke era when Michigan football was way down. 
And, you know, 2020 aside, his programs have won eight or nine or 10 games every year. Uh, they're, you know, they're good in the classroom, uh, off the, no, no off the field stuff. Um, you know, there is certainly a segment of Michigan fans who feel like, Hey, maybe Jim Harbaugh hasn't, uh, you know, hasn't delivered the ultimate prize, hasn't won the big 10. Uh, but he runs the kind of program we want and we're willing to be patient with him. And I think that that mindset is probably closer to the mindset of Michigan's administration, and Ward Manuel, the athletic director, who did not hire Jim Harbaugh, but was Jim Harbaugh's college teammate, actually, at Michigan. Uh, and I, I think the indications were going into the offseason, even when a lot of people were talking about Jim Harbaugh's job status, that uh, that Ward Manuel did his first priority or, his, you know, his his uh, first intention was was to negotiate a new contract for Jim Harbaugh. And that's what ended up happening. And I think if you look at the contract, it's pretty unusual, you know, in terms of the types of deals you see for a head coach of, of Jim Harbaugh's caliber uh, to have such a small buyout, only four million, which, you know, four million bucks is it's not uh, it's not small change. But in the world of college football coaching buyouts to sign a new deal and have that little of it guaranteed tells you that Jim Harbaugh didn't have a ton of leverage there. Uh, and, you know, if, if he was going to come back, it was going to be on a deal that was pretty friendly for Michigan, and that's what happened. And it really is a, you know, a time for Jim Harbaugh now just to prove it on the field. You know, if if he is capable of getting it done at Michigan, uh, there are incentives in his contract that are going to pay off for him. But he's got to earn it. Uh, it's you know the days of him, uh, you know, showing up and getting eight million dollars just to you know just take the job like that. That's gone now. He's really going to be evaluated moving forward on what happens on the field in twenty twenty one and beyond. Right. And yeah, buy, the buyouts have gotten kind of outrageous. I, um, as an Auburn alum, I think we're going to be paying Gus Malzahn until <laughs> I have kids um, based on that contract. And so I understand that, hey, Michigan got a great deal there in terms of a buyout. But I want to move to National Signing Day, man. It wrapped up last month. I love talking recruiting. And we saw the Wolverines sign a top 10 class. It was second in the Big Ten behind Ohio State, who – is recruiting at just an all-time level up there with Alabama and Clemson. But what were the biggest positional needs for this program, and who are you most excited to see suit up for the Wolverines? Well, the two guys in the class I think that people are most excited about, J.J. McCarthy, who we talked about earlier, and Donovan Edwards, the running back from West Bloomfield, which is just like half an hour down the road. Uh, you know, Those were two guys who really – really the cornerstones for the class and Donovan Edwards in particular, he didn't make his decision uh, until the December signing period started. And, you know, that was one just Michigan had to have Donovan Edwards, you know, local kid, uh, four or five star running back kind of right on the, right on the edge, a guy being recruited by Georgia, Ohio state, uh, you know, the kind of player who you need to keep at home if you're Michigan. Uh, And so, Getting McCarthy and Edwards, I think, really kind of pushed that class over the top. Uh, you know, they did have some needs that that didn't, uh, you know, didn't get met in the class um, defensively, especially in the secondary. Uh, they have some needs at, at corner. Um, they signed, I think, two DBs in the class, so they're going to be a little bit thin there. Um, so it was, you know, the class was, I think, a really good class on offense and a, you know 
okay to pretty good class on defense. One thing they did do on defense uh, that I'll give them credit for is uh, they added three guys on the defensive line uh, in February, um, including Rayshon Benny, a four-star defensive tackle who uh, had been committed to Michigan State, flipped to Michigan. So they were able to do some stuff in the February signing period that I think makes that class look better on defense. But still a few holes there, but overall, you know, with COVID and with all the uncertainty uh, with Michigan and, and Harbaugh's contract status, I thought it was pretty, you know, pretty impressive that they were able to put together a top 10 class. Right. And I mean, you talk about secondary needs. That's where I was going to move to next. I mean, looking way ahead to the 2022 class, they already have a top a top 11 prospect in Will Johnson coming in from, I believe it's Gross Point, Michigan. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Five star kid. I mean, I broke it down on one of our episodes. This kid. I mean, his pro comparison is Stephon Gilmore. And then their second highest rate of recruits is safety out of Tennessee and Taylor Grove. So do you expect defense to be just an overwhelming priority in this 2022 class? And are there any prospects who aren't committed now that we should be looking out for as top targets for Michigan? Yeah, I do think they need to hit defense hard in this class. I thought Will Johnson was the, you know, he was the must-have player for Michigan in this class because, again, a, you know, a local kid, a five-star prospect, his dad played at Michigan. Uh, if there's one player that, that Michigan really needed to land in this cycle, it was Will Johnson, especially because he plays corner, which is a position of big need. So that one, um, you know, that one really when they got Will Johnson, that really changed the complexion of things for their 2022 class. Uh, as you mentioned, they got a couple guys out of Tennessee committed. You know, there's a couple guys locally uh, that I would expect uh, Michigan to be uh, to be a big contender for, including uh, Dylan Tatum, another kid from West Bloomfield. Um, his high school coach, also Donovan Edwards' high school coach, Ron Bellamy, uh, is a a former Michigan player who joined the Michigan staff this off season. So uh, you would expect Michigan to have a pretty good pipeline with some of the, uh, some of the Detroit area kids because of that. Uh, and then, yeah, you know, nationally Michigan's in on some guys. I, I've seen Michigan mentioned uh, with a guy like uh, Walter Nolan, uh, one of the top players in the class as a defensive tackle. Uh, you know, we'll see if Michigan's able to actually get in the mix uh, for a, a recruit like that. If they are, It'll be a sign that, that their new defensive staff is really taking things up a notch. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I think the, the model moving forward for Michigan is going to be really to recruit the state of Michigan better because they've had some, some high profile misses there. Um, and then also get out nationally and maybe get involved in some higher profile recruitments that, uh, that they haven't been in the mix on, especially on defense. Right. And, you know, I, I'm interested in recruiting. I think, Michigan's recruiting has to pick up, especially when you see what your biggest rival in Ohio State is doing. As an Auburn fan, I get it, too, because our biggest rival is Alabama, and we just saw them sign the highest-rated class in the history of college football. But moving on to next season, man, there's a lot of young guys who I'm expecting to step up for this team. But just for our listeners, who are some players that we might be overlooking that could really shine and have their breakout years next year? You know, there's some guys coming back who are not unknown players, but players who, you know, maybe aren't known nationally, uh, who could end up having good years. You know, Ronnie Bell is a wide receiver. Um, You know, he's a guy that 
we don't talk about him a ton, but he's just always so consistent and productive and he's had two good seasons for Michigan and he'll be back. And I'd expect him to have another good season. Uh, you know, a couple guys I'm interested in on defense, Daxton Hill at safety uh, was a five-star recruit, a top 30 player in the class uh, when he signed in the 2019 class, I believe. Um, he hasn't, you know, hasn't really had that breakout season yet. Uh, has played a lot, uh, has played in some different spots, uh, and has played pretty well, but hasn't really had that year when he puts it all together. So maybe this will be that season for him. Uh, also, Chris Hinton, you know, was a top 50 player, uh, five-star defensive tackle. Another guy who's played and, you know, played pretty well at times, uh, but hasn't put it all together yet. And if those two guys Hill and Hinton uh, can do that. That'll definitely that'll help Michigan's defense because I always say at Michigan, uh, you know they can they can recruit, uh, you know they can get win their share of recruiting battles. Uh, but if you get a five star player at Michigan, he's got to play like a five star player because it's not like they've got just a dozen of those walking around like Alabama does. Like if you get one of those guys at Michigan, then it's really important for him, you know, to. Um, to develop and, and play like a five-star player uh, and, and make a big impact. Right. I mean, Daxton Hill is so talented. I, I think he has so much untapped potential. So that is a player that I was thinking of as, as well. But looking ahead at the schedule, man, I'm not going to lie. It's, it, there's some difficult games on here. I mean, you got Wisconsin, Northwestern, Indiana, on the road at Penn State. You have, also have Ohio State. And an interesting out-of-conference matchup with Washington, who head coach Jimmy Lake had in the Pac-12 championship last year until COVID you know, stole that away from them and gave it to Oregon. What do you think the ceiling and or floor could be for this 2021 Michigan team? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think – uh, to me, kind of the you know the the middle ground would be I think seven or eight wins is kind of like a probably a you know a realistic hope or expectation for this team uh, with a ceiling of maybe maybe ten wins if everything you know comes together and a floor of maybe you know four or five wins if things really go bad. Um, I do think that there's talent on this team, probably more talent than we saw in 2020 with Aiden Hutchinson coming back on defense. Uh, some of the guys we've, we've talked about uh, with Hill and, you know, Ronnie Bell coming back and Hassan Haskins has been a productive running back. So I do think that there's the talent there for Michigan to have a bounce back season. But when I think about a bounce back season, I, that's probably like eight and four. Um, I don't see it as a team that's going to be, you know, up in that 10 or 11 win range. So, yeah, because as you mentioned, the schedule's tough. Uh, you know, playing uh, Washington in a non-conference game, um, you know, the, the Big Ten East schedule is always hard. Uh, a crossover game again against Wisconsin. Wisconsin has just killed Michigan the last two years. So, yeah, tough schedule uh, and a, a lot of holes that they have to fill. Right. And, you know, you know, these last two questions are more about the fan base and Arbor itself. But first of all, I want to ask, I mean, like no pun intended. I mean, we're the Blue Bloods podcast, but Michigan is generally regarded as a Blue Blood program. What is the tone? Of, what is the temperature tone of the fan base right now in terms of the national championships, Big Ten contention? I mean, 
where do like what is the perception of the fans? Is it still that Michigan is a blue blood program and we should be winning the Big Ten, competing for national championships year in and year out, or have they kind of just taken a step back and be like, listen, we just have to get this program rebuilt and then we can eventually be there? I just I'm just interested to see what is the fans' perspective right now around Ann Arbor. Yeah, they've definitely – I think they've dialed back the expectations the last couple years. I, yeah, there's definitely – there's some fans who are pretty disillusioned about the state of things, some fans that are frustrated. Um, because when Jim Harbaugh came in, you know, of course, the expectation was Big Ten championships, national championships, playoff appearances, and none of that stuff has happened. And not only has it not happened, but – the last few years, they haven't been close. And I think that that has caused some people to recalibrate expectations. Um, you know, there there is that segment of Michigan fans who still think of Michigan in the same breath with Ohio State and, and Alabama and, you know, feel like Michigan should be one of the, uh, you know, one of the programs that's there every year in contention for the national championship. But I, I would say that's probably a pretty – uh, a pretty small percentage of Michigan fans at this point. I think m- the bigger percentage of Michigan fans feel like, hey, first of all, let's get back to playing winning football. Uh, you know, let's get back to where we were even just a couple years ago. You know, winning nine or ten games uh, that would that would feel like progress at this point. It, nobody was happy with that at the time, uh, but it would be a nice step now for where the program is. And then if you can get back to that point, maybe you can talk about, okay, what do we have to do now uh, to kick down the door uh, to win a Big Ten championship, uh, to get in the playoff? But that feels like it's a few steps away right now, and I think most Michigan fans are pretty realistic about that. Right. I mean, I like I said, Auburn fans are the most one of the some of the most delusional fans at times. I mean, thinking that we're Alabama and stuff. But I mean, and I think the Big Ten as a whole has gotten better. I'm sure you would agree. I mean, Northwestern's playing its best football right now. Wisconsin and Iowa or Wisconsin and Iowa. You still have Indiana on the upswing with Tom Allen. I mean, the parity in the Big Ten is at an all time high. So I think it's just the road has also become more difficult as things have kind of played out but this last question here man i'm I, I love asking this question i actually have a trip planned if fans are allowed i am gonna try to make it to the michigan ohio state game this year i'm skipping the iron bowl for the first time in a while and oh, i'm wow. gonna try to get to that game but what makes the environment of ann arbor and the big house so unique on game days and why should fans have it on their bucket list you know, I had never been in a stadium that ha- held that many people. I think it's just the sheer size of it because I had covered game, you know, I'd worked in the Pac-12, uh, I'd, I'd worked in the Big 12. So, you know, a stadium with 80,000 fans, I'd seen that before, but 110,000 fans in one place, uh, you just, you don't see that many people in one place, uh, hardly anywhere except for uh, the big house and a couple other places. So uh, it's a, you know, it's just, it's a very cool kind of historic atmosphere. Um, you know, it's, it's not like the craziest atmosphere you'll find. Like I covered a, a whiteout game at Penn state and that by far was like a crazier atmosphere but the thing you get at Michigan is just that feeling of, of history, you know, with, with the brick and the stone and, um, 
you know, you just feel like you're somewhere important. So it's definitely, a, it's a bucket list trip. Uh, I hope you're able to make it up and enjoy it because yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty cool experience to see that place when it's full. I hope it's full this year. Yeah. The, the, the whole thing is, as long, I mean, Auburn's with the first year head coach, as long as we aren't in like playoff contention or SEC championship contention, contention, we're going to take these next two years and go to the big house one year and then try to get to Columbus for the next game the next year. We're trying to knock off some trips. Also got a Penn State game planned because Auburn is traveling to Penn State this year. So I'll be up in Big Ten country, man. But I just want to say I appreciate you coming on here, man. It's a wrap on the interview, but where can our fans find you? I'm a subscriber to The Athletic. Some of the best writers work for that company. So where can they find you, man? Yeah, man, I appreciate that. Uh, you can uh, find me on Twitter. It's at by Austin Meek. And yeah, I uh, would love uh, if anybody's not a subscriber to The Athletic, we would love to have you uh, on board. Uh, in fact, we got uh, some promotions going right now around the draft and uh, the NCAA tournament. Uh, so yeah, check us out at The Athletic. Um, it's uh, It's been a lot of fun. This is my going to be my third year with The Athletic and a lot of cool things coming in the future. So uh, yeah, appreciate you having me on. This was fun. Absolutely, man. So guys, make sure to go subscribe to The Athletic. I'd recommend it. Check out some of the work by Austin. I'll be following Michigan football, man, and I'll definitely be reaching out closer to the season. So, and hopefully Michigan can make a strong run at the tournament. You know, I, do they play today or tomorrow? Uh, the Michigan basketball team plays Saturday. Uh, yeah, they one of their best players got hurt. That was kind of a bummer, but they've had an amazing season. Uh, they, they've been a lot of fun to watch. So, yeah, I'm kind of hoping they can make a run too. <laughs> I'll be root. I'll be root for them. Auburn, you know, at NCAA violations, so we couldn't make it. So I got to root for somebody. But man, I appreciate it. But guys, go check out Austin. Go check out the Athletic. Y'all know where to find us. We'll be wrapping up our Big Ten in 31 days later this week. So make sure to ch- uh, check that out. We have some big, big guests lined up for Big 12 in 30 days next month. But guys, for myself, for Austin, and for the Blue Bloods, we are out. <laughs>